It is time now for Green Visions, a KUMD production to encourage green thinking and green actions. Green Visions is made possible by the Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower carbon energy future. We join us this morning, or we are joined rather this morning by Linda Lagarde Grover, and she will be doing a book launch and discussion about her book, Gichigami Hearts Stories and Histories from Misabikong. If I'm, oh, did I mangle it too bad, Linda? How did I do? That's, that's really pretty good, Lisa. I say Misabikong. Well, see, when you, this is what, this is what happens. You get up here and everything is finished. And you learn that you just, mm-hmm. if it's a word you don't know, you hit the first syllable hard and you hope for the best. <laughs> well, you know, you did, you did really well. <laughs> Are there, say, let me, let me digress just a moment. Are there some similar tricks for Anishinaabe Moan? Are there some, when, when, you, when you approach an unfamiliar word uh, in Ojibwe, is, is there, are there any kind of similar tricks to help a non-native speaker or a, or a, a non-speaker of the language kind of sort of get it right? Well, you know, an old man long time ago told me that he thought emphasizing the second part of the, I guess you'd call it the second syllable, Ooh. would be kind of a good direction to go. But that can be tricky, too. So, so I wouldn't go by that. Completely. Well, maybe the best way is just to say, um, how do you pronounce this word? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. But remember when we were little kids? Well. Remember when we were little kids and we said that all the time? How do you say this? What is how this word? This word, yeah, that's right. And we forget until we we say that phrase. We realize that we lived that phrase, and then at some point we got we thought super smart, knew everything. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess I guess now we know it all. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> handy? Isn't that nice for us? <laughs> so we're talking this morning about your book in the context of Lake Superior and our continued concern for. Uh, and interest in the history of these waters. And uh, people come to their ideas about wanting to take care of Lake Superior from a whole bunch of different perspectives. Uh, For some, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. For others, it's embedded in their memories as home. For others, it's embedded in their memories with beautiful vacations. Uh, For some, it's an environmental concern. For some, it's a cultural concern. Talk about the lens that you used in this book to talk about Lake Superior. Well, I've I've written about the, you know, the beauty of the lake, but of course that's a, you know, that's, I guess you'd say a given, that, you know, the the lake is beautiful, and that it varies all the time, you know, its color and its you know how it how it looks to us and how it presents itself to us and and not just to us but everything else in the world what i think is has emerged in this book is the is the sense of the great the tremendous power of the lake that it is way bigger than we are it's bigger than we think and it's much stronger than we are that it is a beautiful thing but it is not a um it's not like uh, just a, a pretty picture you'd hang on your on your bedroom wall. It's it's formidable, 
and that there are, as there are, as it is everywhere else, there are um, there are beings that live around and in the lake too, and we we uh, we might like to be aware of those other beings. That it's it's not just us. Us human beings are not in charge of everything. And that, again, is something that it's very difficult for humans to wrap their heads around, um, even as kids. At, at least when I was a kid, you know, we had this sort of sense that we were the boss of everything else. And if we were bigger than whatever it was, we got to pretty much help ourselves to whatever it was. Yes. Um, yes. And, we were encouraged to do that in school, I think. And, you know, it, I think that was sort of an enterprising attitude and and, you know, one can certainly be enterprising. Enterprising is a good thing. But to always remember that, you know, not only is the lake a, a gift and a creation from the, you know, from um, Gijimani to the Great Spirit, but it is also something that is powerful. It's, it's the same as if we're around any other being that's bigger and more powerful than we are. You know, there is a... There is a um, an acknowledgement of and a respect for that power. At the same time, you know, we we are supposed to uh, be respectful and take care of everything around us. And of course, the lake here, we we do this. Keeping that in mind, though. So, the history of Lake Superior that you write about from a different cultural perspective, but obviously a history. Um, that is set down by a, by another group of people. Why is that history important for decision makers to understand when they are making decisions about the lake? Because we'd like to think, of course, that all of the decisions that are made are completely factually based and, and numbers can be produced to justify all of these decisions, but that's not always the way it works. No, it isn't. And I think, you know, that's a weakness maybe that one of our many weaknesses as human beings is that we we want so much for something to be a way or to happen a certain way that I think our, our view of things are just is tilted a little bit in that way so that what we want must absolutely be what is what is the best or what is even right. And so um I don't know, that's just a, a philosophy of mine. I guess there's a humility that an Anishinaabe must walk towards all all their life. And so that's that's part of the, the humility, I guess. So our our idea or one's own idea is not is not necessarily the only one or the or the best choice at the at the moment. So if we're talking about non native lawmakers though, how can we encourage them to begin to weigh other considerations equally. Lately, it really feels to me, in all kinds of interactions, big and small, that they are transactional and that the bottom line becomes economics. But I I guess I mean that in sort of a fuzzy way, because people throw out words like, well, you know, this is going to make a profit, or this is the way you do business, or this is going to create jobs. And yet, they may or may not have any evidence to back that up. But the idea seems to be that you can get by with all kinds of bad behavior, if somebody somewhere along the line is going to make money from it. Well, I think we all can come up with evidence of what we really want, and I. So I think that there's a there's 
I guess, um, soul searching is what you would call it. And, you know, perhaps our lawmakers and, you know, people who are elected by us need to need to soul search, too, as do all of us, too. I mean, you know, just because we want something, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, to get, give it a great deal of thought. And Anishinaabe people, you know, they, you know, live a life of, of um, praying about about things, you know, constantly. And so that is that is part of the kind of a basic thread of the life of being Anishinaabe. Yeah, I mean, lawmakers, you know, I'm sure they are, they are people who strive towards a good and moral life, too. I really do know this. And, um, but at the same time, there's, there's looking at, is this really the best? Is this really the best thing? And are we, are we just using whatever, you know, facts and figures that we're coming up with to justify what, you know, what I really want? So um, that, I don't know, that's how I, I feel about things, Lisa. And, and, um, <clears throat> and I, I just I acknowledge the the majesty and the and the power and the the um, the soul of of Lake Superior. At the same time, I don't I don't think of it, and I don't think Anishinaabe and probably most other people don't think of the lake as just some some um, some little delicate flower that we have in a vase on the table that we're trying to keep alive by putting aspirin in the water or whatever it's um it is a it is a formidable powerful beautiful thing so you are going to be having this book lunch and a discussion zenith bookstore is going to host this is this this is going to be october 14th is it going to be in person or zoom it's in person. It's going to be at the West Theater. In people, person! Well, you know, and I think that's wonderful, but we are, um, people will be required to wear masks and to also be vaccinated or to be able to um, have proof of a, of a recent negative um, okay. COVID test. I mean, these are, these are things that must be done these days, and, you know, it's, 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 for, it's for the good of, of others around us. Kind of like our attitude about the lake, right? I mean, what we do is good good for others around us. Right, right. Well, it's going to be exciting for there to be an in-person event. Um, oh, so yeah. you and Dr. Jill Dorfler are going to be having a discussion about your book and about some of yes. these topics. Uh, don't want to spoil the whole thing, but can you give us kind of a sneak peek at what the, some of that discussion might center around? Well, Dr. Dorfler, Jill, will put together or think think up as she goes um, some questions and comments. And she is Anishinaabe from um, White Earth, which is in uh, western Minnesota. We've worked together for for some time, and um, she's um, she has a um, I don't know I think a a lovely and beautiful way of um, of questioning and expressing things and and researching. And so she. Um, from her own experience and um, and from mine, I think I think we will have something that is. I, I anticipate it's going to be really, really wonderful for for um, people who attend and and for Jill and and me too. Well, we will get a link up on our website, so it'll be easy for folks to find additional information. And if you need to get, I have not read this through. It's free. It's open to the public, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't know. 
Wouldn't it be great if they, well, not great, but I mean, if they had to turn people away, that would be lovely if there were so many people that wanted to attend. But it is free. It is open to the public. And you need to, you know, double check the rules and the start time and that kind of thing. And we'll get a link set up so it'll be easy for folks to find that information. Linda, what a treat it always is to talk with you. Thank you so much again for being our guest. Thank you too, miigwech. And we'll talk again. I hope so. Thanks. Linda Lagarde-Grover joined us this morning as our guest on Green Visions, a regular feature of Wednesdays here on KUMD. She is doing a book launch and discussion, and it will be hosted by Zenith Bookstore October 14th. It's going to be held at the Freshly uh, Revitalized West Theater on October 14th. As I mentioned, we'll get a uh, link up on our website, so it'll be easy for folks to find all the information. Green Visions on KUMD is made possible in part by the Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower carbon energy future.